Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Holden here. And I'm Jake. And we are so excited to tell you about the last podcast network, Country Jamboree in Nashville, Tennessee, at the historic Ryman Auditorium on June 18th. Holy shit, Jake. This is going to be amazing. Now, I know what you're thinking. What is a Country Jamboree for a podcast network? Well, it's a (laughs) super show where literally all the shows from the last podcast network will be gracing the stage. We're talking the OG boys last podcast on the left, page seven with uh, Holden McNeely, uh, Wizard and the Bruiser with also Holden McNeely, No Dogs in Space, Brighter Side, Fraudsters. Uh, someplace underneath, the story must be told. Fraudsters, it's going to be an incredible <laughs> show. Fraudsters is definitely going to be there. It's going to be an incredible show. Come check it out. Again, that's Nashville, Tennessee, June 18th, Ryman Auditorium, Last Podcast Network, Country Jamboree. Don't miss it. Tickets available now. By the sons of Satanish, by the hoary hosts of Hogarth, by the ruby rings of Ragador, I am your sorcerer supreme wizard, Jake Young. Hey, it's me, the cloak of levitation. All right, I'm a crazy cape. Huh? I do lots of wild things, all right? I'm that cigar-smoking, wise-cracking cloak of levitation. Ah. <laughs> Bruiser holding McNeely. <laughs> He doesn't talk ever, does he? I mean, <laughs> it doesn't ever he, talk. Uh, given the history of Doctor Strange, I'm sure at some point uh, Doctor Strange has not only spoken to the Cloak of Levitation, but like gone inside a parallel dimension inside the Cloak of Levitation <laughs> and talked to an ancient demigod that has like 15 heads and eight tentacles. And one of them is like also there's also a full grown lion just sticking out the side of it who's like does jazz scat. <laughs> I'm sure that has happened. Within the pages of Doctor Strange. This is how we get to the immediate gush, or now I was going to say anti-gush, but that's not doing any favors. Because I do love Doctor Strange. Just the 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 um my experience with this character, which is essentially I was not very familiar with Doctor Strange until he was included into the MCU, and even then I was like, oh, another origin film. Like, whatever. But I did eventually watch it. And um, really, I was just gushing to Jake before we started about how just fundamental he has been to the MCU. 
post like phase two, mm-hmm. essentially, right? Like, I mean, it, how important he is to the most recent Spider-Man film is a great example, but also just the, all the Avengers stuff they did after the first Avengers movie, really, and Age of Ultron, like, but really just Infinity War and Endgame. But like, those are the biggest, best ones, probably, in my opinion. I mean, the first one's really good, but but you know that he is just so important to like the MCU kind of blowing open. It's like him and like Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Right. Those are the two forces that brought in like major sci-fi and major like wizardry magic stuff into the into the the Marvel Cinematic Universe which is more like approachable or palatable in comic book form but really like that's so that can be so tricky to include in mm-hmm. these giant summer blockbusters in a way that people go along with and actually actively love and then the other thing I would say just from reading Doctor Strange comic books over this past week, man, I missed out. Mm. This totally was my shit because I am a, I was and still kind of am a stoner college kid <laughs> who loves these trippy visuals and crazy sci-fi comics. I was like, oh, this is the shit I should have been reading this whole time. I love this. I'm like so thrilled to have gotten to have read some stuff this week and will continue to be reading Doctor Strange comics probably over the next like month or so. I've been just really into it. And that's what's so fun about doing these episodes about these bigger comic book properties is at this point, if they were a popular comic book character from the Golden or Silver Age or even the Bronze Age, so much time has passed and all those kids that read those comics have since grown up and some of them just happen to turn out to be very talented writers and and inkers mm-hmm. and illustrators and they took the property and did incredible stuff Brian K Vaughn I'm looking at you you know what i mean so what i get to do is then actually go and read all these incredible like not just read like the Silver Age stuff that made him so popular in the first place, and then the Engelhart stuff mm-hmm. after that, right? That that capitalized on what that what that was. But then also all those kids who grew up and were like, "Hell, Donny Cates, Donny Cates, man, holy shit!" I reading those it's stories, awesome, I felt man. like such a dipshit that we didn't reach out to him for this. Uh huh. We could, we, we might, we might, maybe we'll try to do a little chat with him. I mean, uh, it's not uh, like it's not like he's gonna be busy. Uh, in the next few weeks for any reason because of a major movie based on a lot of his work. (laughs) Yeah, this is true. But uh, man, it is great. Doctor Strange, almost more than any anybody else, any other character that we've covered, has just such a wealth of fun. And it's because the options are limitless, right? Right. He's he's the Sorcerer Supreme. The the imagination, you know, sci-fi, wizardry, the imagination has no holds no bounds when Time it comes to what you could do with space and parallel dimensions and arcane deities and all of this shit all blurring together to the point where he is kind of a hard character to write because he can literally do anything for uh, 90% of Doctor Strange stories. As long as you can say, oh, there's a spell called the boop of something or other. He can do it, which right. is both a blessing and a curse because you can have stories where 
you know, uh, Dr. Strange breaks into Asgard and like siphons the Yggdrasil tree and has a blowout across parallel dimensions with Loki and do all this crazy shit. And just so much uh, insanity is happening on the page. But then, like, how do you write a, just an everyday story of his? What do you do? And it feels like Doctor Strange is uh, less of, like, a solid character this way that, like, you know, you know the mind of Peter Parker. You understand Peter Parker. You understand the family dynamics of the Fantastic Four. Uh, but Doctor Strange is almost a gateway uh, to just these limitless realms of imagination. That's to the point where... The worlds within worlds within worlds of Doctor Strange is all is just as important as the character himself. Because like anybody could just do Gandalf with a mustache. Anybody could right. just do that. But it, this weird. I did that yesterday. It really upset my neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> but these the the minds of these writers, usually new writers, given like unprecedented freedom within the Marvel universe. Uh, just creates so much unlikely tale, so many strange tales, Holden, mm-hmm. that it in like any writer worth their salt. Whenever shit hits the fan, you gotta bring in Doctor Strange. Concepts uh, yeah. like the you know uh, Eternity, the Living Tribunal, like all this stuff was brought in thanks to Doctor Strange in a way, and just expanded the scope of a story you can tell. In a comic Look, book. Look, I think no one is a stranger to the simple fact that I appreciate marijuana, uh, you know, uh, uh, mind altering. I like my stinky uh, flower, <laughs> uh, panic flower, right? <laughs> I like my stinky panic flower. And this just reading like the Cisneg. Oh my God. Story, you know, where they essentially like recreate the universe in a single issue of a comic book. Is fucking rad, dude, for lack of a better phrase. Oh, my. <laughs> it's really, really cool. It was almost like the other day when I walked over to my neighbor's apartment and knocked his door and was like, Tis I, <laughs> Gandalf with a mustache. You must be my neighbor. <laughs> and he was like so mad at me. And he was like, dude, put on pants. <laughs> you know, like you're clearly on so many drugs. Gaze into the eye of Agamotto. <laughs> and you're like, it's like, that's your penis. That is your penis. And we, this is over. <laughs> We're done. I can't wait to leave this apartment. Um, how much did you pay under it? I'd like to possibly get the apartment next door. Oh, I see what you're doing now. You're trying to just get my apartment. I took a shit in your sanctum. Doctors, all right, please uh, get off of the mustache. Doctor Strange is definitely a character I'm going to fully admit I slept on. And even when he would even like just because we'd gotten so many fucking origin stories in Mar- in the Marvel films, uh, origin movies by this point, I even was like, oh, OK. And I remember kind of feeling that way. And I, I still watched that movie because, you know, they have their dirty claws in me, that Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, you know, it's just once it hits a streaming service, I can watch it on. I'm going to watch the movie Black Widow. I'm looking at you. I watched most of it last night. Oh. I don't even know. I don't know why, uh, but it was fine. But yeah, I um, I think that, you know, th- even that film aside, like what he's been in the overall, especially that most recent Spider-Man movie and how instrumental he is, not only just in like plot, cr- either blowing open plots to create interesting things, you know, 
like that last Spider-Man, like to create interesting plot setups, but also like Lord exposition because he's just like surrounded by this library of books and this mansion. And at any point in a movie, a Marvel character can just be like, let's go visit this guy. So we could explain everybody exactly what the deal is here. <laughs> and then we could go fight the robots or whatever it is. The idea of him as a doctor is one of the key kind of um, mm. themes that a lot of writers like on to because you know the Hippocratic oath the um ceremony of uh, a medical professional you know the stethoscope the white robes the the uh the the soothing patter are all things that like set the mind at ease that you know inspires trust in people and so yeah when uh, your average Marvel hero all of a sudden has a mugger turn into a frothing multi-eyed demon, they turn to Doctor Strange and with the cape and the amulet and the calm demeanor, he comes in and is like, ah, yes, he was attacked by the Dybbuk of D- Denak. And, you know, <laughs> we can fix this. I'm going to need eight eyes and newts. And like <laughs> he serves that purpose as a supernatural uh, expert and healer in within the meta narrative. And so the fact that, you know, he is a doctor, he is a trusted expert to help guide other heroes is super valuable within the narrative as well. It's a, it's a, he's a fantastic utility character that also is great fodder for stories of his own that I don't know where the MCU would be without him. I think he's actually maybe the most important character right now in the, I mean, obviously there, the whole multiverse thing is predicated on him. So it's pretty easy for me to say that, but even before this new phase I don't know what they would do without him. And and the fun I, of saying... He's also one of the headlining stars whose contract is still uh, in play uh, as well. That's true. But but like one of the fun things, I love the way people describe the Marvel films now, like especially those bigger Avengers movies, is like, we've got aliens, we've got wizards, we've got, you know, superheroes, we've got, you know, wizard is always thrown in there to just say like, this is how big and fun these movies are now. And and how how wild they've gotten. Uh, so there's magic, there's science, there's is space aliens. That's all like kind of. It's all melding together into this like incredible, you know, epic thing that is, uh, w- you know, where the MCU can get to once it, you know, once they get to the Avengers big big build up movie that they're trying to build to is is very fun. So I just can't imagine now a world without him um, until he erases himself in the fourth. You know, whatever is going to happen in the future, oh, yeah. but. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, let's get into it. Dr. Stephen Strange is an American comic book character published by Marvel, created by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee, whose first appearance was in Strange Tales number 110 back in 1963. He serves as the Sorcerer Supreme who protects Earth against magical and mystical threats. All right. So actually, wow, Jake, big moment here for, for them comic books. Does Steve Ditko actually get credit for this one over Stan Lee? I believe so, but is it in a weird backhanded compliment kind oh, of way? Oh, thank God Absolutely you have this quote. Is. Oh, thank God. Right from the Okay, so Stan Lee, we've 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 kind of broken this down a couple of times that, you know, the Marvel method where the artist submits these blank pages and Stan Lee fills in the word bubbles and like uh oftentimes very famously just disregards the plot notes and suggestions of the artists, uh, kind of fills stuff in, gives it a little panache, and then uh, gets all the credit. And, you know, uh, 
around this time in the 1960s, uh, these artists were kind of feeling the sting a little because, you know, they worked hard to create these characters. Ditko uh, famously pretty much put together everything that makes Spider-Man Spider-Man. Stan Lee's, you know, had this idea for a character named Spider-Man and he had a design by Jack Kirby that was just some generic Captain America looking guy. But like the eyes, the 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 webbing, the the poses, everything that made Spider-Man Spider-Man was Steve Ditko, and he did not get the credit for, like, being the creator of Spider-Man. New stories were coming out as Marvel was getting more popular that would, you know, praise Stan Lee as this Svengali maestro of story, this this writer par excellence who's hip with the kids that everybody loves, and he, you know, orders around all these uh, knuckle-dragging artists and tells them what's what. And so already... Ditko is like a little bit put off by this arrangement. Uh, Roy Thomas talks about how when he first arrived at the Marvel bullpen in 1965, like people were like, all right, first thing you got to know, Stan and Steve do not talk to each other at all. Like do not try and like <laughs> hang out with them both. Yeah, it's uh, it, it you know, as the years have gone on and as the stories are allowed to kind of leak out, like, you know, it is it was a very strained professional relationship between the two creators, between most of Stanley's collaborators. And even what you just said, as things are slowly uh, getting out about w- what actually happened back then. Unfortunately, Steve Ditko is also referred to as the J.D. Salinger of comic books. He uh, uh, their relationship gets so strained that he ends up leaving Marvel at a point and eventually becomes this total recluse that doesn't do interviews. And I even read a really interesting article from, I don't know what it was. It was a vulture. I think maybe about a guy trying to track Steve Ditko down to finally talk with him. And he fails. He can, he, he, he really gives it the full go. And in a very Salinger esque way, Ditko is very like grumpy and, you know, does not want to f- have people fucking, and for good reason, absolutely, does not want to have people banging on his door at random times of the day to try to find out the real story of what happened at Marvel. So we don't still know a ton, but we do at least have this passage that Steve Ditko wrote in an essay called Toyland. On my own, I love. I feel like too. He had. He's using these words very carefully because he knows how he has to say this because of Stan Lee. He starts with the phrase "On my own." I brought in to Lee a five-page penciled story with a page-slash-panel script of my idea of a new, different kind of character for variety in Marvel comics. My character wound up being named Doctor Strange because he would appear in Strange Tales. In a letter to one of the comic's first ever superfans from Spike Lee uh, that he had a direct correspondence with, Lee had this very passive-aggressive shitty thing to say about the new character. Did you say Spike Lee or Stanley? I did say Spike Lee. I wrote Spike Lee in my notes. Well, it is kind of, you know, I think he was involved a little bit, uh, Spike Lee, before he got into filmmaking probably, and made uh, Do the Right Thing. Uh, no, yes, from Stanley uh, uh, in a letter, Lee wrote, well... We have a new character in the works for Strange Tales, just a five-page filler named Doctor Strange. Steve Ditko is going to draw him. It has sort of a black magic theme. The first story is nothing great. Yeah. But perhaps... 
<laughs> but perhaps we can make something of him. Twas Steve's idea, and I figured we'd give it a chance. Although, again, we had to rush the first one too much. Little Sidelight originally decided to call him Mr. Strange, but thought the Mr. bit too familiar to Mr. Fantastic. Now, however, I remember we had a villain called Dr. Strange just recently in one of our mags. Hope it won't be too confusing. So, yeah, that is a very, uh, you know, you have to really read between the lines on what little you have. But I feel like that's very telling those two little remembrances of how this character came to be. So it's I'm reminded of a similar story where, uh, again, because of creative uh, tensions between Lee and Ditko, uh, Ditko finally got like permission to write his own Spider-Man story. And in the issue before that one, Stanley wrote. We're going to get a lot of hate mail about this one. See what the hubbub is about. (laughs) Yeah, so funny, dude. Just uh, so telling in these little ways, in these little moments. So a little history of Strange Tales and magic in comic books. Strange Tales uh, was a Marvel comic series that ran for 168 issues from 1951 to 1968. It started out as a horror anthology back when Marvel was called Atlas Comics, set up to compete with the horror rags that EC Comics was pumping out. Check out our episode on EC Comics if you'd like to know more about the history of that, uh, which was all, of course, shut down when the Comics Code was established in 1954. Uh, so in 1959, the series was revamped away from horror and more towards popular the popular genre of sci-fi monster stories. Then the anthology series switched to superheroes when they made their big return during the Silver Age of comics while still steeped in sci-fi monsters and suspense stories. So then in, with Matt, when it comes to magic in comic books, magicians were no stranger to the comic book form with stuff like Mandrake the Magician, which was a strip that debuted back in 1934. Another famous one, John Zatara, was first featured in Action Comics number one, the same that debuted Superman. However, these were illusionists and stage performers, where Strange went the route of sorcery with a dash of superhero mixed in to create this wholly unique thing for the time. But based on these classic classical versions. As scripter, Stan Lee also took inspiration from a magician from a radio drama called Chandu the Magician about an American who learned mystical arts like astral projection, teleportation, and the ability to create illusions, which he used to fight crime. So that's very much so a one-to-one. There was also a Bella Lugosi movie. If You you can find it on YouTube. Mm. If you really are just wondering what that Chandu is all about. In Chandu's case, he ends up learning these like mystical arts from a yogi in India. So that's mm-hmm. a little different, but still, like they just kind of taped the ancient one over that, essentially, yeah. it seems like. So uh, let's talk about some key factors for Doctor Strange uh, before we get into the initial run in Strange Tales. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to lay some stuff out just in case. I feel like Strange is a little different from a lot of other ones. If you're just hearing, you know, if you aren't as steeped in the comic books and even the films, there's some very interesting, like, important key elements. First of all, his home base is the Sanctum Sanctorum, a three-story townhouse located in 177A uh, Bleecker Street in New York City's Greenwich Village. That was, I think, a shout-out to one of uh, Roy the Boy Thomas's old apartments. Back in really? the day. Yeah, I think that was a self-insert that was added during his run. It is said to have been built uh, in the site on the site of pagan sacrifices as well as Native American rituals. Very often, he is accompanied by his assistant, Valet Wong, who aids Strange on his many adventures. Uh, we're going to talk about Wong some more. You know, I think Wong's kind of an interesting sticky point mm. for 
the history and then bringing it to modern times as he is a bit of a token Asian like servant character. Oh yeah. He's my man Friday. A hundred percent. Yeah. And then, and then it, since then there have been efforts made to kind of smooth that out or make that less, you know, icky, especially now, you know, and the more modern version, he's like more of a scholar and keeper of his library of Strange's library and like more instrumental, I think, and less of a, just like Matt, like servant master, relationship his love interest is clea have we met clea in the mcu no, no, i don't no. think they brought her in yet she's a uh, weird is- one i mean as soon as you get to the you know just niece of dormammu yeah she's the niece of dormammu which is dormammu of the dark dimension is strange's like one of strange's greatest nemeses in the original comic it's just like oh no i'm in the dark dimension run by uh, a fire-headed monster man <laughs> and there's mindless ones and google gorps all over the place and his niece is a smoke <laughs> show just a goddamn <laughs> holy shit she's thick <laughs> Uh, then there's the mystical Vishanti, the trio of mystical beings from extra dimensions that grant powers to sorcerers such as Strange. Uh, they are the Agamato, the All-Seeing, the Omnipotent Astor, and the Hori Hori Hogoth, which, by the way, is where he gets the phrase. What is it again, Jake? The Hori Hosts of Hogoth! There you go. Then there are his magical artifacts. I already mentioned the Cloak of Levitation, uh, which was initially blue. Uh, they changed it to the classic red that we know today. His amulet the eye of agamotto yes which was originally square uh but th- it was a very weird story in the early run where like he defeats dormammu or just some bullshit uh maybe it was agamom don't don't yell at me whatever <laughs> and uh out of nowhere like just they're just like great job here's a red cape and a circular amulet <laughs> They do basically the same things. <laughs> also, it should be noted here that Leon Didko based that Eye of Agamotto on the all-seeing Eye of Buddha, a religious symbol from Nepal. And this is one of our first little seeds of like why this was so popular at the time in the late 60s, um, because Eastern mysticism and just loads of really shitty weed <laughs> were incredibly popular on college campuses. And so like these little little tidbits these little Mm. additions were huge for a lot of kids who were like whoa they're talking about like the this shit that we're into over here (laughs) my mom would get so mad if she knew i was reading about demons (laughs) uh so the the eye of agamotto by the way grants several powers such as levitation seeing through illusions and disguises unraveling truth much more such as putting folks into suspended animation and seeing through time and space also there are many books but the book of ashanti contains some of the most powerful magical spells it was once kept by the priests of the ancient Sumerian god Marduk. Lastly, the book of Cagliostro, another powerful spell book. Strange uses a lot is uh, another key element. So it's it's interesting because like normally it's like Captain America has his shield. That's his thing. Whereas Strange has got like a toy box mm-hmm. of crazy shit. Again, leading us to say like, wow, you can really kind of do anything with this character there's just he has a million devices at his fingertips yeah if he doesn't know explicitly how to do something by waving his hands he'll just be like hold on let me grab something from the sanctum pick up a book and be like ah here we go the book of how to turn dr doom into a frog because we (laughs) need to do that in this story but then on top of that the villain can get that book right the villain can get his cloak 
you know, and then and there's so much to do with that as well, with the enemy obtaining these mini devices. Just a bit different, I feel like. Just another thing that sets them apart from so many of the other heroes at the time and even today. So Strange initially is featured in Strange Tales in several issues, including number 115, which gives him his origin story. He is portrayed as a vain neurosurgeon who injures his hands in a car crash and in a hunt to heal his hands leads him to Tibet in a meeting with the Ancient One. And Strange becomes his acolyte and a master of of the mystic arts because fucking Carl is hanging out there too. And Carl's a fucking piece of shit. And Dr. Strange <laughs> is like, yes, I'll stick around to make sure Carl doesn't get up to some bullshit. <laughs> Carl Mordo, the Baron, Baron Mordo. <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U S economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea energy and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So this run, really, the strongest part about it is the visuals. Uh, Ditko's surrealistic mystical landscapes, the this just all this stuff, and and the Eastern mysticism stuff, referencing Egyptian myths and Buddhism among many other things. It just it, it was a really groovy scene for college kids that were at the time discovering psychedelics by the handful. So they're just like, whoa, these old Jewish men get me, man. <laughs> Oh, okay, so those early Strange Tale stories—they are already—they're in 1963. At a, like, there, it's the 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 counterculture is slowly bubbling up at this point. Even the you know Doctor Strange was just a very small five-page feature in this anthology magazine. Uh, throughout his initial run, most of the covers are just, uh, I think Johnny, St- I think the Human Torch yeah. was the headline act for those stories. Indeed. At a certain point, uh, Nick Fury becomes the headline. Like, Doctor Strange is barely ever the star of Strange Tales. And Nick Fury is introduced as well in Strange yeah. Tales, like Doctor Strange was, I believe. And uh, uh, most of the, a lot of like the first couple of stories, very cramped panels. Uh, you know, Ditko has to like shove eight panels a page and it's a lot of talking heads and a lot of just like fine line work. And as he's given more space to kind of uh, do things, that's when these surrealist backgrounds come up. That's when uh, more and more Doctor Strange has to go to the realm of nightmare. And like it's a this foreboding foggy area. He has to go to the dark dimension with this MC Escher meets Salvador Dali nonsense geometry everywhere. During a really important arc where, like, Dormammu teams up with Mordo and, like, you know, he's finally given a lot of room to breathe. That's when the concept of eternity shows up with that mm-hmm. classic silhouette, black silhouette filled with galaxies and stars. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> I love it. And uh, it's it's a very, like, either he ends up in some weird dimension and, like, some dumb monster man is like, 
Hey, I'm gonna get you. And Doctor <laughs> Doctor Strange's like, no, you won't. And the guy's like, ah, fuck. <laughs> or some other uh, wizard is like um, after him. Whether it's Baron Mordo or the almost identical demon or a bunch of other like uh, rival magic users. A lot of times, the ancient one who is still very much alive and kicking as part of this. Uh, com- uh, menagerie just kind of swoops in at the last minute to help him out and save him. What's really interesting, what I think about these early Doctor Strange stories is that the tensions between Lee and Ditko, I think just to get Ditko like satisfied and to keep him on board, Stan, the Stan Lee-ness of it is kind of taken aback. Like there's, a, it's a lot less sassy. Things are allowed to go into weird directions uh, Doctor Strange is a very stoic hero. He's not like quippy. He doesn't have like a lot of pathos to him. And you know the uh, the 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 flourishes are mostly in like the uh, the Shakespearean spells. Uh, say what you will. The Crimson Bands of Cytorak is absolutely a Stanley ism. My dude loves alliteration. Mm-hmm. It's the art and the vibe and the shadows and the monsters and. Just Doctor Strange coming up against all these just nonsensical beings that like really defines this era. And when you're talking about the counterculture, uh, what a lot of people point to is uh, Tom Wolfe's electric Kool-Aid acid test, which was, you know, an early uh, kind of chronicle of Ken Casey and the Merry Pranksters and all this stuff. Oh, yeah. And Doctor Strange is brought up consistently uh, to describe like how these you know hippies and artists and wanderers see themselves as like masters of reality, resplendent in Eastern flavored cloaks and kind of just holding court with one another as if they were some kind of magical being, an expert in a mes- metaphysical realm. Uh, tons of other Marvel books are also mentioned, but it's Doctor Strange is brought up as an avatar for these uh, psychic wanderers that are kind of confronting the world's outside perception with without fear, with like mm-hmm. the kind of uh, mastery that a doctor would, which is ironic because as, as you mentioned, uh, Ditko was 100% not a countercultural figure. He actually yeah, he got- was a big, he was a big Ayn Rand fan. He was like ultra conservative uh, and super not into whatever those dirty, stinking filthy hippies were doing one of the, over on the West Coast. <laughs> one of the uh, Spider-Man stories that he plotted that had a negative reaction was when he went to an NYU campus and saw an anti-Vietnam rally and told them to knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's the funny push and pull of this era is like Ditko being the way he is and this, be, and this largely this character catching fire on college campuses with like these types of people. It's very fascinating uh, sort of first part of Strange's history. It's not that far of a, you know, whether you're a hippie who loves uh, making Hobbit pipeweed jokes or an actual Ku Klux Klan member, there's something about uh, extreme political ideologies and wizardry that is for some reason compelling. Something about taking the reins of reality and defining it as you see fit Mm -hmm. appeals to uh, a lot of people that are uh, dissatisfied with the status quo. So Strange Tales officially changes to Doctor Strange, 
with issue number 169. He gets his own titled series, which runs up through 69. This put artist Gene Colan at the helm uh, for the illustrations, and these layouts were even more experimental and hallucinatory. Once sales dipped enough to call it a day on the initial comic run, Strange joined the Hulk, Submariner, and Silver Surfer in a team called the Defenders, which uh, I did not really know a lot about, but it's kind of an interesting like anti-Avengers mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, right, Jake? They're kind of like... They're a little more, they're like the Bad News Bears version. They're a little bit dysfunctional, but extremely powerful, which makes for a very compelling uh, group. Although they're they're always the underdogs. There's been so many attempts to make Defenders a thing. Even the Marvel uh, Netflix series made a go at Defenders and it didn't, it still didn't work out. Yeah, they have Strange and they have Hulk now in, you know, in the movie theater, hugely popular, but they still haven't quite cracked Silver Surfer or they haven't even approached Submariner as a character in in the MCU. So maybe someday, but we're pretty far off at this point. But there's some really good comic book takes on this uh, foursome that that uh, would come even later. We'll talk about, by the way, some of the you know some we have some really good recommendations if yeah. you're interested in getting some more Doctor Strange in comic books, which we'll talk about later in the episode. Roy Thomas, you know Gene Cullen, we've talked about before, incredible artist. Uh, just for all of the weird energy that Ditko brought to Doctor Strange, uh, Gene Colan has an amazing command of anatomy, of page layout, of uh, character acting, and he took this very seriously. He was a very high-minded artist and uh, brought in themes about religion and uh, the afterlife and all of these things that uh, working with Roy Thomas and also uh, writer Steve Englehart uh, kind of brought a lot more relatable uh, spiritual questions to the realm of Doctor Strange. Uh, Another thing that was going on was Roy Thomas was falling head over heels in love with the works of H.P. Lovecraft, as well as, uh, what's the name? Fuck. I can never remember the name of the Conan the Barbarian guy. Conan the Barbarian author. Thank you, Google. It's Rip Van Robert E. Howard. Marvel had a successful... Conan tie-in series, and he was uh, very much loving the uh, introduction of chthonic Lovecraftian dark gods within those pages. And so he int- he's introducing the idea of Shumagoroth into this early kind of stage in the thing. These eldritch gods, these undying ones, these many angled mm-hmm. ones are kind of uh, uh, the dweller in darkness is coming up also. Uh, we're dealing with a lot of like very like crazy ass shit to the point where uh, finally under this uh, 60s, 70s run, uh, the ancient one finally uh, is dies. He is killed by Doctor Strange in order to spare the world from the arrival of Shumagorath who is a big tentacles thing with an eyeball. <laughs> uh, so let's get into Steve Englehart's addition to the Doctor Strange comic legacy in the Bronze Age. Very, very important. Uh, Englehart started out at Marvel with a lot of uncredited stuff. His first credited work was a story centered around X-Men's The Beast before moving on to launching The Defenders, mentioned above, as an ongoing series in the early 70s, as well as a bunch of Avengers runs around this time. Frank Bruner, uh, the... Uh, his his artist started out not long before his work with Englehart 
inking the Silver Surfer before moving on to Doctor Strange. This team was notable for killing off Doctor Strange's mentor, therefore making Strange the Sorcerer Supreme. They also created a sorcerer named Cisneg. It's the word Genesis backwards. It's the word Genesis backwards, but it's not Cisnedge, right? It's Cisneg, I think. Cisneg. That ends up creating the universe anew, which prompted Lee to order Engelhart and Bruner to print a retraction. I, ho- I hope this is true, by the way. I wasn't able to fully confirm this batshit crazy story, but I'd like to think that this is something that Engelhart and Bruner did. So Lee is not happy with the fact the character, uh, the, 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 this character was not God with a capital G. He, uh, Lee wanted them to retract it and say that this character, that Cisneg ends up be, being a God to avoid any religious offense. They didn't want to, you know, Oh, I love this boats. story. So then Bruner and Engelhart, they went and created a fake letter from a minister that didn't exist in Texas, praising the story, and they mailed it to Marvel literally from the state of Texas so they could, like, to, to, to try to pull it off as best as possible. This leads to Marvel dropping the order to make the retraction, and they got away with it, which is amazing if true. Oh. And, and just goes to show how scrappy Inglehart and uh, Frank Bruner were and how much artistic integrity they had that they were not willing to bend on, on even that little element, which, I mean, and it is one of the most classic strange tales and tales of the Bronze Age, like single issues from the Bronze Age. So I'm glad that they fought so hard to keep it in. I think this happened during the Roy Thomas run, but just while all this is happening, uh, Doctor Strange is underperforming as a mainline title. Uh It's always ranking at the bottom of Marvel's releases. And in a fit of desperation to try and up the character's profile, at one point, I believe it's Roy Thomas, uh, tries to make him more superhero-y by introducing this dumb blue mask design, (laughs) which isn't a mask. I believe Doctor Strange loses a bet with a demon and he has to remove his own face. And so it's just this faceless void. And to give him a secret identity, uh, Doctor Strange now goes by Steven Sanders when out in the public. (laughs) And by night, he is Doctor Strange. Uh, The costume is very goofy looking. They kind of brought it back for uh, the Midnight Suns arc in the 90s, but hoofy doofy, just just acknowledging that that was a thing that happened. I would say this is some of my favorite strange stuff, especially the Inglehart stuff. Definitely go check that out. It's so psychedelic. It's so fun to look at. Mm. I just, and the monster designs are amazing. And it's a lot of just one-off, they're almost like Twilight Zone episodes, mm. you know? I would almost, I, like co- very colorful you know, as sci-fi based as pot, like Twilight Zone stuff. It is really, and Monster of the Week stuff. And it's really fun to read because they're always introducing fascinating concepts dealing with, you know, multiple dimensions. And it's just very heady, very fun to look at. Just really enjoyable stuff that I feel like I missed out on back in the day. Like, I'm really excited to have some of the collections that I now have in preparation for this episode because I'm going to definitely continue to read the 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 these like the omnibus and all this kind of stuff so anyways um yeah he he ends up uh getting featured under a different title instead of strange tales for a while it's marvel premiere uh then he gets his own comic again uh and then they really kind of fuck the character over uh strange ends up uh losing his entire collection of mystic books and important artifacts um, as well as he ends up like losing an eye and quitting magic altogether for some time. Was that the superheroification stuff that you were talking about, Jake, or was that a different 
weird take, like weird movement with the character. It was this uh, this week was really hard to keep all of it straight because yeah, it's a lot. It's all. But I, I feel like they fumbled. They, in, in other words. In the late seventies and and through the eighties, they like fumble the ball. Per, it seems pretty hard with this character, and just never quite know what to do with him for several years. Even in the modern age, there there appears to be this push and pull with Doctor Strange writing, where someone will come on and be like, "Well, this guy can do anything. That's not fun. I'm going to take him down a peg." And then the next writer <laughs> comes in and is like, "This guy can't do anything. That's no fun. I'm going to give him all his bullshit yeah. back." <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, Jason Aaron and uh, Donnie Cates as a more recent example of all this. Mm. You know, it is a difficult character to write. He, you know, he's amazing within the universe, but it takes uh, a lot for him to, especially for a continual serialized story to, uh, you know, get the most out of him. He doesn't. It's it's hard to have an interdimensional soap opera, yeah. for lack of a better word. You kind of need him to return to a status quo. And let the adventures speak for themselves. So let's get into the 90s and the 2000s. Strange returns with his own title uh, in the 90s. Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme. This runs for 90 issues from... uh, It actually starts in 88 and runs uh, up to 1996. During this time, he became affiliated, you already mentioned, with the the properly edgy team for the decade. (laughs) The Midnight Suns. We're the Midnight Suns. And we've got a lot of guns, little boy. As you are. (laughs) As you will. As Something in the way <laughs> to be more to use a more modern Nirvana comic book reference. Uh, yes, this included Hellstrom, Jennifer Kale, <laughs> Morbius, Werewolf by Night. What's what's he by day? Huh? Just a man. <laughs> Two Ghost yeah. Riders to, add, to give extra leather jackets. Johnny Blaze and Danny Ketch and probably <laughs> Zarathos Xanatrop. <laughs> There was like an even edgier <laughs> so ghostwriter in the 90s. Fucking edgy. And I love that they're called the Midnight Suns. And you know what? I'm not better than it. If I had known about it, I would have been reading the fuck out of it. This is when but they I- gave <laughs> Dr. Strange his uh, weird ass uh, faceless design back and he looked like a fucking mm. ninja. <laughs> if he ain't got the polka dots on his arms, I don't want to read it. I'm going to say that right now. One cool thing is though, during this time, Strange discovers chaos magic. And uh, this was initially developed in England in the 1970s. I mean, last podcast, I believe, did a a big either a big episode on it or a series on chaos magic. Um, And it also is referred to as results based magic or success magic and is more geared toward gaining specific results through its procedures. What you do is you write down something like I wish you know, Jennifer liked me, you know, and then you think about it a lot and you come on the napkin and then apparently it happens. This is my basic knowledge of chaos. Seems magic. I'm very sorry. deliberate magic. I feel like chaos magic would be like you come on the napkin and then your dad dies from an elephant attack. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's more like. Now that's a chaos. Mama Mia. <laughs> Life finds a way. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on with it, but you got to ask the boys about that. You can ask Marcus or Henry or bit about that. Uh, in the 2000s, Strange was relegated to more of a supporting role, regularly making an appearance in The Amazing Spider-Man as well as The New Avengers. And I think this is where he comes into play as this major utility character. Where you're right, Jake, it's like, God, sky's the limit of this character. I almost want to like remove some of it or or give it back or just keep, you know, and, and just the constant push and pull of like what to do with him through the 80s. And I think they they realize like, oh, 
He can like make any story possible mm. for Spider-Man, mm -hmm. for the Avengers, you know? And in the latter, the new Avengers, he comes out as a member of the Illuminati and he regular and he becomes a regular member of the Avengers after the events of Civil War, the storyline in 2006, letting the crew use his home as a base using that uh, that big building in, in the West Village. Around this time, uh, Brian K. Vaughn, uh, writer, we've we've talked a lot about uh, Brian K. Vaughn. I'm a huge fan. Why the Last Man saga does a limited series on Doctor Strange called Doctor Strange the Oath. We can talk a little bit more about that when we get to our recommendations, but that is like a major staple of his, like the history of his uh, comics run. I mean, it is, if you need just a, if you watched the movie and you just want a Doctor Strange story that doesn't require, uh, you know, melting your brain through dozens of issues with several layers of demigods, Doctor Strange the Oath with art by uh, Marcos Martin. Um, really does hit the spot. It's a mini series. It's only like five or six issues. I read it this week. It's so good, dudes. Just read it. Not only that, but uh, the movie itself has uh, the oath to thank for it because director Scott Derrickson actually put together an animatic, like kind of visual treatment to present to Marvel based on a scene in the first issue of the oath where Doctor Strange is fighting above his own body that's going through surgery on the astral plane. A scene which did, in fact, make its way to the movie. If you remember, you know, where uh, one of Caecilius's goons follows him through the portal and Rachel McAdams is like, what's going on? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that scene was originated in The Oath and got Derrickson the job. Totally. Yeah. Huge, huge uh, staple. Huge, huge flag post point. I don't know, for the comics and uh, for source material for the MCU. Also, Brian Michael Bendis spent some time with the character around this time, uh, which is pretty interesting, um, having him placed in a... Uh, sec having second-guess himself after failing to stop Doctor Doom from attacking the Avengers, who manipulates Scarlet Witch into taking out most of the mutant population. Uh, and he eventually even steps away from Sorcerer Supreme for a while. I mean, anything else you want to say about Strange? And uh, you know, we're going to give some comic recs at the end, but Strange in the 2000s and the 2010s. It just seems at this point that like there were enough. Kind of like every comic book character, I feel like at this point from the Silver Age, Golden Age, and even the Bronze Age, where like now just really good writers and there's so many of them now kind of get to take the character and do something really interesting with him for a while or for a limited series or whatever and and that's where all the good stuff seems to be like like different graphic novels that have come out uh things like that where it's like oh you were like a fan and always wanted to tell this story about strange and now you get to tell it because you've you know, earned the right through like writing a ton of really good stuff. The 2000s and the 2010s was an era of like near constant uh, big crossover events. And so when the cosmology is on the line over and over again, uh, you know, Doctor Strange has to be involved. So he is a consistent presence through Secret Wars, through Dark Reign, yeah. through battle, through uh, Secret Wars, through all of these giant things and he is usually left uh changed for the experience uh a lot of the 2000 stuff uh the jason aaron stuff the i'm thinking of a mark wade run where you know he accidentally sends galactus to the realm of magic and he has to like once again restart the universe and make deals with mephisto and do like just i think because you dr strange is cosmology is so vast and full of all these cosmic creatures 
in a Marvel universe already packed with Omega level powerful entities. You almost can't tell a Doctor Strange story without making it a giant crossover event. He walks freely between all of these worlds and interacts with these kind of God level characters that maybe on like a special annual Spider-Man might get to like, you know, when Spider-Man makes a deal with Mephisto, it was one more day and we couldn't stop talking about it for years uh, Doctor Strange hangs out with Mephisto on a weekend. <laughs> like, it's just, he hangs out in Vegas with him. It's insane. So before we get to his inclusion in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I just wanted to talk a little bit about a TV movie from 1978. Oh. Yeah, it should be noted, uh, Doctor Strange did get that uh, a TV movie. Stanley served as consultant on the film, and it was to be a test pilot for a potential TV series. Lee said, I probably had the most input into that one. I've become good friends with the writer-producer Phil DeGuerre. I think that Doctor Strange would have done much better than it did in the ratings, except that it aired opposite Roots, which is hilarious because if you know anything about Roots, it was like the biggest TV event of the time. So it's so funny that Doctor Strange, the TV movie, had to compete with it and clearly definitely failed. Uh, It had a sizable budget at the time and utilized a ton of green screen technology that was just becoming big in uh, special effects in its day. Uh, definitely look up the YouTube trailer for that. It's it's quite a bit of fun. I think there's a master cut of like the more over-the-top scenes in that, but it's, it's very 1978. I mean, I would love to talk about uh, the other Doctor Strange movie that was not called Doctor Strange, when oh, yeah, yeah. Charles Band, uh, the man who gave the world uh, Puppet Master uh, franchise, as well as his V8 direct-to-VHS powerhouse studio, Full Moon Entertainment, actually optioned the character in the early 90s. And uh, even though they lost the rights to the character, just went ahead and made the movie anyway. And the result was 1992's <laughs> Dr. Mordred, yeah. which is literally a Doctor Strange movie in everything but name. He is a Sorcerer Supreme. He talks to an Eternity-like space guy. He fights a Baron Mordo-looking dude. He like he wears a sash. He has an amulet. He has a swank apartment full of magic bullshit. It is a Doctor Strange movie, and it just is out there. And you can like watch it for free on Tubi. It also has some amazing stop motion animated sequences. It's like not bad. It's like a genuinely fun schlocky movie. Hold in. I sent you an, uh, the poster on the discord. It's literally Dr. Strange. Yes. Yeah, no, I know. I, uh, it's so Dr. Strange. It's so funny. I'm glad you brought it up because I read about it and I didn't put it in my notes. And it I is watched absurd. scenes from it. It is. <laughs> it's just they shaved Dr. Strange's mustache and just and just was like, like they could have just changed the word strange to Mordred ADR in post for all I know. Why Mordred? That sounds like an awful name. Uh, it sounds like my grandmother's, you know, uh, fucking badminton partner you know (laughs) mordred i'm going over to mordred's we're gonna watch some more macgyver across america bp supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like building grid scale solar energy in ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in texas it's and not or See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? 
Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The uh, character work was uh, the... In, Jack Kirby himself helped with early concept art for the project, and he called the character Dr. Mortalis. Mm. So it might have been just a... Better name? Yeah. I'm going to say that's a better creep, more sorcerer-like name, oh. less old lady-like name. Looking at my tabs, actually, uh, the film will appear on the new season of Mystery Science Theater 3000 this June. Nice. Very fun. So after the TV movie and that shit show... It's fine it's surprisingly <laughs> fine uh it wasn't until paramount pictures gets the rights in 2005 to the character uh with kevin feige at the time putting the pieces together for a series of avengers films and strange was a part of that marvel enters into a non-recourse debt deal with merrill lynch which allotted marvel 525 million dollars to make a maximum of 10 movies based on the company's properties over eight years with a total of 10 characters involved and one of them was dr strange so that all is to say he he was a part of the plan from the very beginning, even though he was uh, clearly not a part of the MCU until, you know, phase three, I believe, is when he's brought in. A script changed hands multiple times, but it was the director, Scott Derrickson, that came on board, wrote a 12-page script based on a sequence from the comic Doctor Strange, The Oath, which he illustrated along with storyboards and an animatic from artists he hired, and he presented this in a 90-minute pitch to the studio that he paid for with his own money that got him the gig as director and got the ball rolling on the script used for the actual film. This was his attempt to show that, quote, I wanted the job more than anyone, and it cost him a ton of work time and a ton of money, and the risk, the gamble, it paid off, luckily. But just goes to show how hard you have to push to get a gig, to, to become a part of this yeah. crazy-ass franchise, especially if you're not like grandfathered in somehow. So he still had to have eight meetings with Marvel, in order to get the job. Uh, that's a lot of meetings. Derrickson is a graduate of the USC School of Cinema Television, and his first big movie was one he wrote and directed himself, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Um, a lot of horror fans would probably know of that one. Definitely most people would know of Sinister. Um, that would be the one, the movie that really put him on the map. Uh, Derrickson said about moving from horror to superheroes, it was nice to work on something more positive and not have my headspace in something so dark for so long. But it was also weirdly similar because of the fantastical nature of the movie. So it really worked well for him. And if you haven't seen Sinister, it's a great horror film, one of the better films of that era of horror, for sure. If you haven't seen that, you could also check out 2008's The Day the Earth Stood Still remake starring Keanu Reeves, to see what could have gone wrong in the Doctor Strange movie. <laughs> I, it does capture a vibe. Derrickson does have command yes. of a vibe. I will say that much. So initially, Derrickson was supposed to, wanted to co-write the script. However, Marvel didn't want him spread too thin. So they passed the job over to John Spates uh, for the big rewrite and credit. Spates' sci-fi script, Passengers, which was eventually made uh, starring Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt, about two passengers on a spaceship headed to a colony 60 light years from Earth. Also 
also wake known up as 90 years space early. gaslighting or <laughs> how to knock up a girl you saw in a coma <laughs> and get away with yeah, it. Yeah, so they're like, they're on their way to this colony, but they wake up 90 years early from their induced hibernation. And so that's what the movie's predicated on. It was one of those scripts that stayed in Hollywood limbo for almost a decade, but it was kind of like a being John Malkovich in a way, like a lesser being John Malkovich, but it was one of those scripts that always floated around, gave him a name in Hollywood, but just could never mm. get made for the longest time. Uh, but it still kind of gave him a bit of a reputation in Hollywood as a strong script writer. And before Strange, he wrote the script for Ridley Scott's Prometheus, and he would go on to write on, probably co-write and executive produce Dune. Hey, So, yeah, big lineage there. He, too, hounded Marvel to get the job and even refused to take no for an answer, much like that guy did in the movie Passengers <laughs> when they said they were going with someone else. He stood his ground and eventually landed the gig. He's also a huge Doctor Strange super fan. Also, C. Robert Cargill was brought on to help with the script. He had previously worked with Derrickson on his breakout script, Sinister. The big comic book influences for the first one are Ditko's original run, The Oath, which we mentioned before by Brian, Brian K. Vaughn, and Into Shambhala, which was uh, has Doctor Strange returning to the Ancient One's home after their passing. Initially, Marvel, Derrickson, and Spates all saw Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. So did all of Tumblr as soon as they first started casting the first Marvel movie. Yeah, was there anyone else? I mean, was it always just him? And it almost wasn't him, by the way. I'm about to get into that. But yeah, was it all? It was always him, right? I mean, is there anyone else you could imagine as this character? As soon as Sherlock hit and uh, the internet got a hold of Benedict Cumberbatch as the guy who walks into a room and explains a bunch of bullshit shit but you can't look away because he's just got a weirdly compelling lizard face (laughs) yeah yeah it was him and he has the he really does look like the character Mm. you know just the eyes just the the face structure it really works perfectly i will say it's gotten better in subsequent movies but jesus christ his accent in that first movie is all Mm. he's like hey there i'm from naperville boston Yeah, dig. <laughs> so, yeah, this uh, Cumberbatch almost didn't do the part. He uh, had a bunch of scheduling conflicts, and, uh, you know, they had to figure that out. And uh, eventually they moved the whole shoot for him in order to do it because he had to go be Hamlet mm. uh, <laughs> over on in like London's West End or somewhere. Cumberbatch did a ton of highly regarded performances in theaters all over England before getting steady work on TV and film. And yes, it would be definitely be Sherlock that put him on the map in a huge way both in you know England and in uh, the States. He's not so much a comics fan, but was drawn to the intersection between science and mysticism in the role. He said, you know, every time I dig a little deeper into science with my pea-sized brain, I hit a wall. I have a sense of wonder at what is beyond our understanding. There is wonder in logic and whether on the macro or micro scale, it just gets bizarre, extraordinary, and unfathomable. We have only five senses to understand and appreciate it, whether it's theoretical physics or microbiology or circadian rhythms. It's incredible. Spiritualism keeps on cropping up in culture uh, from way, way back, and the 60s were a moment where people started to look for something beyond the material. But how do you marry that with the modern world? And his answer, of course, is with the visual effects and uh, everything the cinema can provide, and then packaged in this, like, it's a superhero movie thing, which is a kind of cool way to present a lot of these, like, crazier concepts to, um, I'm just going to say pea-sized idiot comic book fan. Not like (laughs) you, the smart, discerning, uh, I'm going to say overclass of Whizbrew listeners who are... (laughs) 
Uh, I'm going to just better than almost everybody on earth. You listening to this right now, rule the school and everybody that's around you right now. I don't know if you're on the subway or like in an office right now. They're all fucking idiots. You know what? Well, you know, while we're on the subject, I'm just going to go and say, hey there, fellow real person. You're <laughs> one of the only few real people. Everyone else, they're just a construct to fool you into making money. My name might be Holden, but they truly are a bunch of phones. <laughs> so... <laughs> Wong is played by actor Benedict Wong. That worked out well. Two Benedicts in the same movie. What are the odds? Why? Well, I just I meant that his last name's Wong. Oh, I guess that's also neat. <laughs> he was also worked uh, early on in Britain and also appeared in Ridley Scott's Prometheus. He does an amazing job. I love him in these movies. He's so good. Rounding out the cast, you already mentioned Rachel McAdams uh, as an emergency surgeon and ex-lover of Strange. Um, and then you have Tilda Swinton as the ancient one. Now, this choice... Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. So what they wanted to do was they were like, we really want to avoid stereotypes of like the the old... Whiskered snow- Asian master. Yes. Yeah. And so in doing so, but then they were like, well, we could put an old lady in the role, but then there are stereotypes that kind of go with that. So why don't we do this like androgynous kind of... Uh, you know, this choice with Tilda Swinton. But then, of course, with that choice came accusations of whitewashing. And so it is very a very interesting argument here. Like, I think one of the key interesting factors of Doctor Strange in modern day, both comic books and uh, the MCU, is what to do with some of this Asian tokenism, some mm-hmm. of this Asian stereotyping that... that was going on back in the day. And the comics, we'll talk about some of the attempts that they've made to fix some of that stuff in the comics. And you see it right here, though they try to do. What do you think about that choice? Like, what what should they have done? What do you think about that choice? I think the controversy kind of went away as soon as, you know, uh, the movie came out because Tilda Swinton's performance is very good. The take on the character is interesting in ways that... uh, you know, having just a generic like grasshopper pa- impatient one, like does the bell not ring twice? But when the boat, sh- like all that bullshit, you know, most people just kind of were like, all right, it's yeah, it's neat. It's fun. It's it was good. She did a good job. She was she brought a compelling character to this uh, story. It's it's stuff like, uh, you know, when Scarlett Johansson plays uh, Makoto from Ghost in the Shell and it's just like kind of arbitrary that like people go like, ah, what are you doing? <laughs> so like, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm saying whitewashing is a state of mind as well as a real cultural phenomenon that has been recorded and observed repeatedly. A hundred percent. So lastly, there's Mads Mikkelsen as the villain. Caecilius Mikkelsen is an avid co- comic collector who jumped into the role with enthusiasm. He was like the nerd of the cast. He was like so psyched to get to be in this movie. Uh, so the film is released in late 2016. It does great with critics and audience alike, although it does fall into a lot of those similar origin story film trappings that we've seen quite a bit mm. in the MCU up to this point. But still, it does a solid job of bringing Strange into the MCU. And then he gets to be in like the best from there on, like what is regarded generally to be the best Marvel Cinematic Universe films that have come out since Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, and of course the major catalyst for what happened, the wild nostalgia trip that is Spider-Man No Way Home. So I will say this in defense of uh, Doctor Strange. Yes, it is an origin movie, 
but uh, Derrickson does an amazing job maintaining a specific tone throughout the movie where the, uh, the visuals and the uh, shifting gravity and realities that are happening feel believable and kind of instantaneous. He talks about how he didn't want his fight scenes to just be c- continuous versions of Wizard 1 throws lightning bolt, Wizard 2 blocks lightning bolt, Wizard 2 then throws different, bigger lightning bolt. The uh-huh. way that the mirror dimension and all of these kind of that stuff's awesome. geometric insanity uh, affects the dynamics of the fight are really fantastic. It's visually enthralling. The scenes where Doctor Strange is getting jettisoned from you know outer space into shadow dimensions to all that stuff is visually distinct from a lot of what had been happening in the MCU up until that point, uh, maybe in Guardians of the Galaxy. But like that still had a little bit more cartoony, like technicolor aspect to it. Uh, The resolution of the movie where Doctor Strange wins not by like, you know, smashing the MacGuffin crystal or doing a big like ultimate Hadouken on Dormammu, but actually wins kind of true to the character by like understanding the rules and understanding the codes which these entities operate under. And, you know, the the line door I've. Dormammu I've come to negotiate is like really burned into my mind because it really is a satisfying and unique way to end such a blockbuster story. Mm-hmm. I really think they just did a incredible job. Um, the uh, I'd, one fun note about the production is that Industrial Light and Magic had to do all of the Inception style effects of New York City getting twisted inside, outside all the way around because they were the only company that had a fully CG photorealistic New York City in their library bank of assets because they had to do that for the original uh, fight in Avengers. <laughs> so they were brought on to do that because they were, it was, they just had to like rotate and multiply the models that they had already made for Avengers mm-hmm. while a different company would have to be like, fuck, I guess we got to start rendering the Chrysler building. (laughs) And I am super excited for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I didn't realize it was directed by Sam Raimi. This has actually given me a weird, uh, weird vibes because the first one did have its own tone and it did have its own energy. Like, will Sam Raimi make it into a Sam Raimi movie? Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Right. You know, it's different writers. It's a whole different... Written by Rick and Morty and Loki writer uh, Michael Waldron. Uh, But I really enjoyed Loki. I didn't think it was like, it didn't blow my mind. But definitely in terms of that writer handling a strange film, totally. Absolutely. Like, the vibe of that movie. I think one thing we haven't really highlighted enough, too, is actually just how funny... Uh, Cumberbatch can be as strange. Mm-hmm. How how many like ways that they incorporate comedy in a I think not so eye rolly you know like Whedon-y way. I mean, there's some like that whole Beyonce through line with uh, Wong in the first movie is a little uh, Whedon-y <laughs> if I have to be honest. <laughs> but uh, Benedict Wong is so good as the straight man that it yeah, redeems itself. He's so good, he really is. I love him in everything. Uh, that they've they've thrown him in when it comes to the MCU. Joining Cumberbatch is Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch. Check out our Scarlet Witch episode. Chiwetel. Uh, Chiwetel uh, Ejiofor as... It's... it's, Chiwetel. Jesus Christ. Sorry, guys. Chiwetel. Chiwetel Ejiofor as um, nemesis Carl Mordo, which is cool because I'm interested to see how they're going to handle Mordo. That's a really fun character. And um, you've got Rachel McAdams and, of course, Benedict Wong returning. 
So yeah, uh, that's going to be awesome. I think uh, people a lot of hype about it. It's just cool to see a lot of hype around a Doctor Strange movie, just in general. That is fun to to experience because I didn't think they would be able to pull that off. To be honest with you, I mean the entire success of the MCU. Uh, is in defiance of all of my wildest, you know, wizard magazine wishes back when I was like uh-huh. a third grader. But if you had told me back then that like people are going to get hyped beyond hyped for a Doctor Strange sequel movie, I'd be yeah. like, what are you gibbering? Right. Next, you're going to tell me they're on the, a third Guardians of the Galaxy movies on the way. And they'll be like, uh, <laughs> and I'll be like, bullshit. But of course, like, I think it's also the, the thing that they do so well is people are really running out there, not just to see a really fun Doctor Strange movie, but they want to know, like, it seems like this, this entire phase is based on what happens with Doctor Strange and mm-hmm. the multiverse, right? Like, this is planting the seed of the entire big new push by Marvel, right? And in, in, in the films by Phoebe mm-hmm. and everybody, right? So I think it's also, it's the implication, right? It's like, what, what are they going to set down, lay down for us in this movie that's going to like propel us through the next series of films? The money train has run out of track and they are laying it out in real time in front of yeah, the engine. It's great. All right, so let's get into some uh, Doctor Strange comic book recommendations uh, on our way out of here. I uh, noted some. First of all, the Doctor Strange Omnibus Volume 1. Yeah. That is the Steve Ditko run. Fantastic, trippy, collected there. And I definitely recommend it. You know, a lot of times I wouldn't necessarily be like, definitely read the first early old, you know, the initial shit. No, you, know what you I mean? gotta, you gotta, always. But it is, it is actually really strong from the very beginning. And almost even more so for me personally, a separate reality. Um, the Inglehart stuff is collected in um, a collection called Doctor Strange's Separate Reality. This includes the Sisenag uh, uh, Genesis story and a bunch of other fantastical, mystical sci-fi tales. Just really cool imagery. Great stuff there. And I think it absolutely holds up for sure, which is a cool... I think it's rare, again, when we cover this stuff, that the old stuff really holds up in a, in a way that I think I would recommend you actually pick up that collection. Uh, I picked it up. It's awesome. Oh, by the way, you know, not to advertise Comixology, but holy shit are like most all the big Doctor Strange books that I'm recommending right here. They're like all uh, uh, borrowable yeah. through a Comixology membership, which is pretty rare, I found, when covering different topics. Maybe it's because of the the movie coming out and everything, but like all this shit is available if you have a Comixology membership. Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom, Triumph and Torment, fucking rules. Mm. It's written by the legendary Roger Stern with amazing art from Mike Mignola, pre-Hellboy. It tells the tale of the two doctors fighting against the horrors of hell to rescue Doom's mother. Uh, another great Roger Stern story uh, is collected in Doctor Strange versus Dracula, the Montessori formula. If you want to see uh, Dracula and Strange, Get into uh, get into fisticuffs. Doctor Strange, Strange Origin is going to be one of those the the more modern take on his origin story. It's written by Greg Pak and drawn by Emma Rios. That it reexamines Strange's beginnings and also fixes some of those old racist tropes, like uh, what they do with the character of Wong. So pretty important, I think, a, a good way to get that origin in a more modern, palatable way. 
Uh, if you're looking for Defenders stuff, a good good place to go is Defenders Indefensible. Uh, that is a nice tr- taste of Strange and his classic foursome, along with Hulk, Server Surfer, and Submariner. It's a great limited series that brought them back together and does a solid job of capturing the humorous dynamics of the team, while also pitting them against classic Strange foes like Dormammu and Nightmare. Um, there's also The Way of the Weird, one of the more recent uh, entries in Strange Comics. Oh, yeah. It explores the nature of magic in the Marvel Universe and is so strong, it's already been mined quite a bit for the MCU. This is the one that has all the, it introduces the idea of like magic with a price and like they have all this, yes, the idea that cool. like, you know, Doctor Strange has been skirting death this entire time by just casting spells willy nilly. Other stories that I think are really amazing. Uh, friend of the show, Donnie Cates. Yes, so it's a, definitely going to recommend The first that volume one. of his run, I believe, is called God of Magic. Fucking bats, man. Bats. Oh, my God. Precious doggy bats. When, you, when it happens, you will be screaming. <laughs> uh, another story by I belie- a fellow Wizard and the Bruiser listener, uh, writer and artist Scotty Young. Dude, fuck yeah, Scotty. With the help of uh, artist Humberto Ramos, uh, has Strange Academy, which is kind of this uh, Hogwartsian, uh, like uh, young children doing magic uh, under the guidance of the Sorcerer Supreme and has a lot of fun, kind of brings together all these threads of all the different magical worlds. There's like a little baby... <laughs> um, Doyle Dormammu, who is the son of Dormammu, who's adorable. It's very good. Uh, <laughs> worth, awesome, a, worth a read. Uh, what else? There's so much. Uh, well, definitely. And I will just reiterate The Oath, oh. uh, Doctor Strange The Oath by Brian K. Vaughn. It's fantastic. Definitely check that out. That was the only other one I had. Oh, on my uh, list. The Death of Doctor Strange is a run from yeah, uh, yeah. by Jed McKay, where Doctor Strange is killed by a mysterious assassin and he has to solve his own murder. That's right. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I didn't. I don't know why I didn't include that. But yes. Clea, I think, is the current Doctor Strange right now. Doctor Strange is still dead canonically in the mm-hmm, comics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's about it. I think that's all I got. Jake, anything else you want to say for Dr. Strange? This is a great one. I'm so glad to finally give him his episode. Great excuse to do it with the Multiverse of Madness coming out. Uh, What a fun character. Definitely one of those ones where I'm like, damn, I think this would have been one of my favorite characters growing up if I had only found him. Uh, when I was really in the, you know, my fir- in my first phase of being into comic books back in the day. He's a great, great character to, to tell a bunch of really fun, interesting, visually amazing stories with. There's a direct-to-DVD Marvel animated movie about Doctor Strange that is kind of humdrum, except for the fact that uh, there was clearly a miscommunication with the Korean animators because uh, Doctor Strange's little sister in the uh, script is clearly supposed to be his, like, little sister and his inspiration to want to uphold justice. But the animators definitely thought she was his girlfriend. So they made her super hot and touching. <laughs> and it's weird. It's weird to watch. Very interesting. He's also because he is who he is. He's in like eight. What if episodes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's just you got it. Yeah, you could just utilize him in so many crazy ways for, for what if episodes. All right, there you have it, our episode on Doctor Strange. I'm psyched for this movie, man. I hope it's good. Uh, and uh, yeah, by the wondrous winds of Watum, I All declare right. this episode finished. Tis I, Gandalf, with a mustache, <laughs> and I say, my neighbors are knocking boots late at night, and I can hear it. 
uh, heat getting off of the mustache. Giving me All the right. vapors of Valtor over here. <laughs> All right, good Lord. Get off the mustache. Why do you have a boater? <laughs> I like the sounds of my neighbors <laughs> and the mini boots that knock upon themselves. All right, please, people, come on, stop making me, stop forcing me to do this dirty getting off of the mustache bit. We got to get out of here. Patreon.com forward slash whizproof. If you'd like to support us further, $5 a month gets you weekly bonus episodes where we talk about what's going on in current events and the news and, you know, on in terms of the topics we cover in this podcast, as well as uh, the year that was. We'll take, uh, we're working through the 2010s. I don't even know what we're going to do after that. I think we're done with the year that was, unless we want to do the 70s, <laughs> uh, which I don't, I'm, I'm uh, feared. As of, one of the of real people, Holden, you should already know that any time before the 80s when we were born isn't real. That was a lie. Exactly. They told us to confuse us in school. That's all simulation stuff yeah. we don't want to get into. But regardless, check us out, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew check me out on twitch twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho that's twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho monday tuesday friday streams it's always a good time especially when i see you come in and say what's up from uh wizard and the bruiser as a listener it, it really is so wonderful to have you guys I had a couple people come into our friday stream just to say what's up just to say they, they love the show and that always gives me a happy so come check me out twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho Jake! Follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung and uh, check out the Puppet Jared channel on YouTube and tw- and uh, Twitch. I almost said Twitter. <laughs> Thursdays is the flagship stream, uh, the cartoon dumpster where we go through the archives of the most copyright derelict bizarre cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. And we watch them, we make jokes, we have fun. And uh, a, a special event on May 19th, I will have the creator of the Mighty Orbots live on stream to answer all of your questions <laughs> about uh, 1984's giant robot show that didn't survive. <laughs> awesome. Check that out, y'all. And hey, always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.